Welcome to the Wanderers History Podcast and to a new episode of the series looking at accounts of the travelers in the 16th century Mediterranean, right now focusing on Excepta Cipria and the years which preceded the Ottoman conquest of Cyprus. In a previous episode, I've talked about Falchetti's account. Now, I will want to talk about Giovanni Sozomeno, an engineer present before and during the siege of Nicosia, who was made prisoner after its fall. The fall of Nicosia was a crucial event which nearly sealed the fate of Venetian Cyprus after 1570, which by that point was relying on Famagusta to hold up while hoping the Venetians and the Holy League would provide relief. Before we continue, I'd like to remind you to please hit that subscribe button if you haven't done so already. It really does help the channel a lot. Let us resume. It's important to note in the editor's note that the narrative of Giovanni Sozomeno, engineer, was addressed probably to the Grand Duke of Tuscany, Cosimo de' Medici, who died in 1574. The narrative begins and says, quote, The first day of July, the Turkish fleet appeared in the waters of Bafo, and the second day reached us that it has landed at the Salines. On that very day, all the cavalry and infantry without meeting any resistance, although Astore Balioni, governor-general, wanted to show himself with the cavalry and mounted musketeers to throw the landing into confusion and to learn the enemy's strength, but neither the lieutenant nor the co-adjutor would have it so, saying in support of their decision that they could not have prevented the landing because their force of infantry and cavalry was so small and it was wrong to risk what they had and to prejudice the defense of the fortresses to retire to which was a matter of nearly 30 miles. If this had been four or even ten miles, it would have been worth making the, the attempt. And this opinion prevailed because his lordship affirmed that Signor Sforza Palavicino used to say the same thing and because the lieutenant willed it so. Nevertheless, the rest of the nobility of Nicosia, with the exception of the Count of Rocas and his brothers, presented a most spirited letter, saying that they were ready and desirous, with Signor Astore Balione, to march to the Salines and try every means of preventing the landing, or at least as far as they could to throw into disorder and injure the enemy. A good witness to this is Signor Astore, who told the whole truth about this letter at Famagusta in the presence of Signor Nicolo Donato, chief officer on board his own galley. So the Stradiot cavalry, which was with the Count of Rocas at the Salines, re retired to Nicosia as soon as the fleet arrived before the Salines and remained in that city until the end. Parts of the army without artillery appeared nearby Nicosia on July 25th, and at once Colonel Palazzo Dafano advised and wished to make a sally with all the Stradiot horse, the cavalry, the newly raised infantry and part of the Italian and Greek foot soldiers, and to charge that wing of the enemy before the rest arrived. It came up next day with the artillery, showing that there was reasonable hope of effecting some signal success. Neither the lieutenant and his counsel nor the co-adjutor would consent, although amongst ourselves the said colonel was esteemed as an officer experienced in war and completely trustworthy. The enemy's forces were now all united, and their camp pitched without any resistance on our part. 
500 horsemen only were dispatched from the Salines to Famagusta to keep that city strictly invested and also to cut us off from all help which might reach us therefrom. They camped then with their tents on the open country and on the hills of Mandia, where stood the pavilion of the Pasha commanding the expedition. They dug on the spot a well in which, contrary to the general opinion, they found an infinite supply of water. A great part of the army, and especially of the cavalry, was posted at San Clemente, where is the spring which supplies the citadel, and there were tents also in the villages Galangia and Acalasa, five Italian miles away, for the convenience of the infantry which was halted there. The first thing that the Turks did as soon as they were united and settled in camp was to come round Nicosia on horseback to provoke us to sally out and skirmish. But the coadjutor and the council would never allow us, or the nobles, who were most eager to do so too, and were even by speeches and spirited letters showing that they wanted to meet the enemy, to leave the city except once only when Captain Cortese Estradiot was taken and killed. When the Turks perceived that we did not intend to come out into the plain, they began to devote their time to the making of forts. The first was built on the hill of Santa Marina at a distance of 270 paces from the Podicatero Bastion. It was finished with very great speed and little resistance on our side, although from the curtain between the Podecatero and Carafa bastions and from the front of the bastion, we fired with pieces of 80 to prevent its construction, but they built it by night. We could not hinder them. From this fort, they kept battering the houses and part of the platforms of the curtains, but with no great damage to our soldiers. They built their second fort at San Giorgio di Magnana, and from this, they battered in like manner our houses and forced us to withdraw our defenses, but it was of little service to them to destroy the houses inside. The third was on the hill called Margheriti, which is between the Costanzo and Podecatero bastions. The fourth in the middle of the slope of Mount Tomandia. But from these forts they could make no grand attack on the walls. From these points they began to push inwards and to come up to the ditch and edge of the old city. Then, with their trenches, they got up under the four bastions Podecatero, Costanzo, Davila and Tripoli to face which they set four other very lively forts at 80 paces from our ditch, from which they sought to bombard with some effect and for four consecutive days they fired with pieces of 50 from morning to night. Only in the middle of the day they rested for four hours on account of the great heat. They discovered, however, that they could do nothing because the earthworks were such that the shots from the artillery lodged therein without destroying them. So they gave up their attempts to fire upon us and began to creep up with spades and picks and sundry very deep trenches. We, on the other hand, did not fail to respond with our artillery, with which we did them great damage, overturning and disabling some of their cannon. Their trenches and forts were strengthened 
with empty fosses, loons and pits broad and deep enough to hold large bodies of men, while neither our artillery, cavalry nor infantry could harass or dislodge them except to our loss. Next they began to drive very deep trenches into the ditch of the city, throwing in earth and fascines, which latter their horsemen brought in from a distance without any hindrance from our cavalry, such as the knights and feudatories wished to make. They then began to cut away the angles in front of our bastions. We saw the enemy pushing on without any loss on their side and no kind of hindrance on ours. And anxious about the future, we applied many times to the government, urging that a brisk sortie should be made to destroy what the enemy had constructed in the ditch. But the opinion of their lordships was that no sortie should be made seeing that the Italian soldiers were very few and the rest were peasants, while the mass of city folk was without experience, courage or numbers. For during this summer, a general sickness prevailed in this most unlucky city, whereof there died not only very many Italian soldiers, but a very great number of peasants and citizens of the Italians, who were at first 1,300, between those who died of disease or who were killed or wounded during the 46 days and 15 assaults, so many were missing that in the last assault only 400 were found fit to fight. For all these reasons, they were against leaving the city. Nevertheless, as danger pressed and men saw the ruin which hung over us, it was decided to make a spirited sortie with part of the peasants and citizens, the Italians and all the cavalry and stradiots, while the feudatories and knights complained that they were wronged and insulted because they were not allowed to go out. But there was no remedy, and the chiefs even wished to recall the order given, so at midday on August 15th, the hour was chosen because in the morning the Turks were always about and armed, but at midday lay down and slept in the shade. The infantry to the number of a thousand marched out under Captain Piovene of Vicenza, lieutenant to the co-adjutor, who, although his duties were those of the mounted officer, wished on that day to go out on foot, and with Count Alberto Scotto and other captains led his brave Italian soldiers and some Greeks so well that they got up to the enemy's forts and made themselves masters of two which were abandoned by the Turks, who feared that worse might yet befall them. So much excitement was caused by this exploit that even in the pavilions there was confusion and dismay enough to drive their owners to fight. The war indeed would have ended on that day if our cavalry had come out as was arranged. End of quote for now. Basically, Sozomeno goes on to say that one by one, the bastions would fall. The Ottomans had a huge army, close to 100,000, if sources at the time were to be believed, and the garrison, the professional garrison meant to defend Nicosia was a bit underwhelming. We have the report here, only 400 Italian soldiers fit to fight. Nicosia under these conditions, with very inadequate defenses, with barely a garrison to keep the continuous assaults of the Ottomans, with an incompetent leadership from the likes of Niccolo Dandolo 
and with the fact that the Venetians were not able to land a relief force, the fall of Nicosia seemed almost inevitable. Sozomeno resumes and says, quote, The slaughter was great on both sides, but much more on that of the Turks. In the Podecatero bastion, however, I know not from what lack of arrangement neither the commanders nor the soldiers were of the temper needed for so a great a task, so that without check from our men the Turks got in and made themselves masters of the platform. The few Italians who were there present fought with spirit and were cut to pieces as well as the nobles with them. But the country folk of the Cernide and those who were collected at the last moment in the city behaved badly. Some of them let themselves down through the embrasures and along the curtain and fled into the country. The other bastions were held until the Turks had forced an entrance into the city and closed in on their rear, pushing through the throat of the works. Then followed a horrid, a pitiful spectacle. Our unhappy defenders were savagely slaughtered, caught between two fires, and knowing not whither to turn, where to seek safety. Yet just a few of them saved their lives by rushing among the enemy and escaping from the bastions into the city. These collected into the narrow lanes with a few of the citizens and held their own. Some country folk of the Chernide came up, but when they saw the crowd of Turks and the slaughter of our men, they turned round, nor could we by any means make them stand. They even turned their arms on those who wanted them to face the foe. There was random fighting in all the streets and squares with no order, no leaders. The slaughter lasted until three o'clock. Those who resisted were killed. Those who surrendered were made prisoners. At last the Pasha arrived in the city. Seeing the great slaughter and finding many armed men both in the palace square and elsewhere, he bid his own men cease fighting and exhorted ours to surrender, promising to save their lives if they laid down their arms. Many did so. The nobles who survived were some 25 or 30, with no great number of citizens. Such was the miserable end of the most unhappy city of Nicosia. If this capital and the remainder of the kingdom had had a good government and a larger number of soldiers, it might have held out for a longer time, as long, in fact, as it had victuals. Further, I am strongly of the opinion that if the strength of the kingdom had been fully known, not only could the landing of troops have been delayed, but if a landing had been made, so much injury could have been inflicted that the enemy would have readily changed their plans. Thus, if a choice could have been made of a six to seven thousand horses, some of them fit for lancers lightly equipped, others for our best musketeers besides these, if we could have shown 25,000 francomati on the hills near the Salines, in full sight of the troops of the fleet, given these last the idea that they could be attacked in open country anyhow, even allowing that we had neglected take the necessary measures to prevent the Turks landing at the Salines. I was of opinion that we could have we could defend Nicosia and drive back the enemy with the cavalry which we had in the city. 
Sozomeno goes on to say, quote, As soon as Nicosia was taken, Ali Pasha returned at once with his men to the fleet, which sailed for the gardens of Famagusta. The army marched to besiege this city, and the ships remained there until news arrived that our fleet had reached Castel Ruzzo to engage the Turkish fleet in Cyprus. On hearing this, Piali and Ali landed at once and came to the tent of Mustafa Pasha, where they consulted as to what should be done. It was rumored that Piali was afraid of losing his ships, for he had heard that the junction of different squadrons had made our fleet extremely strong, and although they were well aware of the great losses, they knew thoroughly all of the movements of our ships, and were even aware of a di dispute between Italians and Greeks at Canea, which made them fancy that we had taken recruits at Candia, especially archers, a force they esteem highly. They adopted, however, the advice of Mustafa, who insisted that the dignity and power of the Grand Signor would not allow them to refuse battle. They must go bravely on, and God was with them. Whereon we whereon they landed all the Christians and useless folk and equipped their galleys with good artillery. All these details I learned from the Turks themselves while I was a prisoner with the forces of Mustafa. As soon as they heard of the retreat of our fleet, they came back making great demonstrations of joy and embarking the slaves and the rest of their baggage sailed away on the 6th of October. It was said that Piali Pasha went with the galleys to Constantinople and Ali with his to Rhodes. The greater part of the slaves, male and female, were taken off the island. The flower of the youth with much rich spoil was embarked on a galleon of Muhammad Pasha. Sozomeno goes on to say and conclude that in the city of Nicosia, they, being the Ottomans, have left a garrison of 4,000 infantry and 1,000 horse under the command of Muzaffer. Mustafa, with the rest of the troops, marched to Famagusta and encamped in the village of Pom Adamo, three miles from the fortress. End of quote. In the next episode, we shall discuss the Ottoman siege of Famagusta, the last bastion of Venetian Cyprus. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Wanderers History Podcast. Remember to subscribe if you haven't done so already. And until the next time, all the best.